Welcome to Grace this weekend. Uh, thanks for being here. I wore my favorite shirt today for you guys. Like that? Yeah, and if you missed Jeff mocking me last week, you can catch up online if you want to. All right, good stuff. My name is Ryan. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd uh, love to meet you, maybe hear your name. And uh, if you're in the room, thanks for being here. If you're watching online, thanks for tuning in that way. And uh, before we even jump into our conversation, though, today, I want to just highlight a few things we heard earlier. Boy, that five and change thing is a big deal. It is an easy way to make an impact, especially collectively. Uh, by just giving five bucks, we make a big impact in the lives of these kids here all around us in our area. And so take advantage of that. Take a minute to take your phones and do that uh, either now or sometime later today. And I think you'll be glad that you did. One other thing I want to tell you about real quick is that this week we had about 170 students at our Momentum Youth Conference, an annual youth conference where there's a, a couple of thousand students that gather together and hear about Jesus and learn together. And uh, we've got a group kind of coming back, wrapping that conference up right now. And so uh, be praying for them. They've made some big life-changing decisions. They would have just heard a ton of truth. And uh, so I know their hearts are being affected. And uh, so it's really exciting to do that. And I uh, make sure to keep them on your minds as well. Pastor Jeff has been there as well all week, as, along with some of our other staff. And so be praying for them also. And uh, what we're going to do here, of course, we've been in this series all summer called uh, The Most Interesting Man in the World. It's all about Jesus and we want to continue to take another step into that series. And here's what we've been saying. We said we're going to take some time and really look at the person of Jesus. We said there's no matter kind of what faith stance I would have, if I'm a follower of Jesus, kind of all in, or if I'm somebody who's maybe even skeptical about Jesus, or somebody who said, I don't want to believe in Jesus, all of us would have to objectively look at his life and say, boy, something's different about this guy. Right? He lived 33 years on the planet. Really only three of those years are spent in ministry, and yet his impact continues to grow and advance and even increase over 2,000 years. It's incredible. And you look at him and say, what's different about this guy? Who is he? Is he just a teacher? Is he just a prophet? Is he something more than that? And we want to just kind of really take some time and dive into that question and say, who is Jesus and what was he like? and spend some time kind of staring at his life. And that's really what we've been doing. And we said, we're not going to approach it from kind of a cultural perspective and just ask, what does our culture today believe about Jesus? We said, we want to go all the way back and look through the eyes of those who knew him best, who kind of lived life with him. And so we've been spending time in the book of John. John would have been Jesus's, one of his closest disciples, one of his closest friends. And John said, hey, I'm going to lay out the story of Jesus kind of from the way that I see it. And how, how John did that was pretty specific, right? So there's four major accounts in the Bible of the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is going to set up his gospel or his story of Jesus this way. He's going to say, hey, I'm going to lay out for you seven kind of miracles that Jesus did. He calls them signs. I'm going to expose you to this, show you what he did, tell you what he said. And at the end of the book, he said, listen, I wrote this all down for you basically so you could believe. Right? I want to show you Jesus. He's my friend. He's my Lord and Savior. I'm all in on it. Let me present to you the facts, put it in your lap, and now you decide what do you want to do with Jesus? Uh, do you think he's the real deal or not? Right? Kind of based on all that I've presented in front of you. And one of the things that we've seen is we've looked at some of these signs, right? We looked at the first six. Today, we're going to look at the seventh. Of course, we'll wrap up next week. One of the things that we've seen as we've looked at all of these is as you get to know what Jesus was really about, as you see what he's actually done and what you, when you hear what he's actually said, you start to realize that there's really not room to be neutral when it comes to the person of Jesus, 
Like, we can't just look at Jesus and say, man, he's such a solid guy, right? Just like a great teacher, and he's a neat spiritual leader, kind of among many other spiritual leaders. When somebody says, I'm God, when somebody walks on the water and, and feeds thousands of people with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish, when he does unbelievable, miraculous things and claims to be the very son of God, you look at that person and say, man, he's either the real deal and he's legit and he's our Lord and Savior and should be interacted with as such, or everything that he said is a lie and should be discounted and everything about the Christian religion should be flushed down the toilet. Like there's really no in-between, that there's no room to kind of be mediocre or neutral in our interaction with Jesus, I either have to fully accept him and lock into what he said, or I fully reject him. And as we understand more and more of the person of Christ, he leaves us very little wiggle room to kind of land in the middle. We're going to see that certainly today. That's going to be true as well. And the, the first of these signs that we looked at uh, was, was at a wedding, right? We're going to see today that the last of the signs is going to end up at a funeral, and uh, boy, if you missed any of the conversations we've had, you can catch up online, graceohio.org, grab it through our app or YouTube channel. You can kind of hear and look at all of those that we've gone through. But we're going to land uh, this last sign today in John chapter 11. I'm going to have you turn there in your Bibles. If you brought a Bible with you, open it up to John 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, not a big deal at all. I encourage you to grab one from underneath your chairs there right in front of you. It's page 748 in those Bibles. And actually, you can take that home with you if you want. If you need a copy of the Bible, grab that, write your name in it, and take it home with you. Of course, you can follow along on our app as well. As you're turning there, let me catch up a little bit to the context of what's going on. So a lot has happened now. By the time we get to the seventh sign, um, things are getting really intense for Jesus at this point. In the beginning, everybody was excited. They were, they were fired up. Man, he's healing people. He's feeding people. He's saying some great stuff. As the influence in Jesus' ministry continued to grow, the religious leaders began to get more and more upset because more people were leaving them and going to Jesus. Now they're suspicious of Jesus. They're angry at Jesus. They not only just don't just dislike him, they actually hate him at this point. And by the point we come to John 11, uh, there have been two attempts to stone Jesus, which literally kind of this, this practice where they would pick up rocks and throw them at Jesus. He escaped both of these, but the tension is enormous, right, in the ministry of Jesus, especially around this city, Jerusalem, right? It's kind of the hub of where all these spiritual leaders would hang out. Now, a city right down the street called Bethany is where some of Jesus' friends were, uh, Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, two sisters and a brother, they have a situation going on in Bethany right down the street from Jerusalem where the, all this opposition is where Lazarus got really, really sick, like super sick, right? He's almost on his deathbed. Mary and Martha, they're like, let's reach out to our friend Jesus. They probably would have seen him heal all kinds of people. So they reach out and say, hey, Jesus, you know, our close friend Lazarus is sick. The assumption is that Jesus would come, go to Bethany and that, the name of that city, and then heal Lazarus, right? That's the assumption that's playing out. All the while, this opposition is all around this area. That's where we pick up the story today in John eleven four. and here's what Jesus would say, right? When he hears this, that Lazarus is sick, Jesus said this. He says, this sickness will not end in death. 
He says, no, it's for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Right away, Jesus is going to say, here, I know what's going on with this situation. I understand what's happening with Lazarus. This is not going to end in death. That won't be the final outcome of it. God is doing something bigger through this entire event, and I want you to know it, right? So he says this right away, right? This is for God's glory that people are going to believe in me through it, Jesus would say, in essence, that he's going to receive glory from it. Then Jesus says something pretty fascinating here. Actually, John shows us what's really going on behind the scenes. Here's what John says about Jesus. He says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, right? He's got this deep affection. They're friends. It's interesting what he says. He says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus and the disciples are separated from Bethany, right? They're apart. John tells us, hey, he loves them, so he actually stays away. This is counterintuitive. You would think, man, Jesus loves Lazarus. He loves Mary and Martha. Certainly, he's going to run down the street and heal his buddy, just like he's healed all these other people. I mean, come on. John says, no, it's actually the exact opposite. Because Jesus loved them, he stayed put. And those two more days passed, we're going to find out that Lazarus passed in that time. And here's one of the things I want us to draw from this right away. We want to know that Jesus is always driven and motivated by love. Always. Right? He's always going to operate out of love and love for us. But his love is often going to look different than we would expect it to. And here's, here's kind of what we would want to walk away with. See, love doesn't seek our greatest desire. Love seeks our greatest good. And love does not seek our greatest desire. Love seeks our greatest good. In any given situation, my desire and what is best for me, my greatest good, may be the same thing or they may be very different things. Right? And in this situation, we're going to find out that Mary and Martha and their desire to see their brother healed is not the greatest good that they could have. We're going to find out here why in a little bit, but this point is a big deal, right? Love doesn't seek our greatest desire. It seeks our greatest good. Now, let me give you an example of how this works, right? Because we can long for and desire perfectly solid things, perfectly noble things, right? Things that aren't necessarily sinful or wrong or bad. They actually might be good things or neutral things, right? They're, they're not evil. For example, right, there was a day uh, when I longed to have a full head of hair, you know what I'm saying? Just like wavy locks, beautiful. And, and right away, you know, after college, I started to get the thing, like an M, you know, and it started to recede. I was all right with that. And I had the peninsula. You guys know what a peninsula is? Right where the hair is, like right here. And I said to myself, I will rock the peninsula. If this sucker turns into an island, right, if there's just this one random patch of hair, it's going, right? I'm going to shave it. And here's the thing. Here's what I didn't know. I desired to have hair, but God desired a greater glory. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Look, look at this head. It is absolutely perfect. You'd never know it, right? If I had hair on this thing, you would never see my highest good, the beautiful bald head in all of its brilliance and glory. That's how it works, right? 
We can mess with it all day, and we can look and say, yeah, especially when I want something that's actually not good for me, it's so easy to see this, right? If I'm a parent, I'm going to watch my kids want to stay up late, later than they should, and I know what's best for them. They're greatest because they need to go to bed. They're going to want to eat ice cream until they throw up. What they need to do is eat a nutritious meal, right? Normal stuff. We can see that, but all of us are going to look at a desire that's actually a good, solid desire, like Mary and Martha have right here, and say, sometimes, why doesn't God fulfill that desire? Why isn't that the greatest good? Right? The couple that's trying to have kids and can't. God, well, why, why aren't you fulfilling this desire for me? Why isn't that what's best for me right now? Why, why can't I find a spouse, a godly person to spend my life with and, and connect with? Why, why isn't that happening? Why, why can't... Why can't you, God, heal the person in my life who's in a bad place? Why don't you show up in the moments when it seems like what I'm asking for you is a totally legitimate request? It's not wrong. It's not sinful. It's not evil. But, but how do I see through it to some greater good that you have in mind that I have no ability to see on my own? Right? We're going to wrestle that way, and all of us do. Right, as we look at things that we long for in life, the breakthrough, the career, the, whatever it is, and say, God, why aren't you working? Why aren't you showing up in the way that I would hope that you would show up in my life? Right, love doesn't seek our greatest desire. Love seeks our greatest good, and certainly that's playing out in the lives of Mary and Martha. We're going to see here in a little bit how it works. Lazarus dies over that two-day period. He says, so then he told them plainly, talking to his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. He says, but let us go to him. He's going to look at his disciples and say, here, Lazarus has passed away in this two-day gap. The disciples would have been confused by this. Like, why didn't we go do that? Why didn't we heal him, Jesus? Like, we've healed all these other people. They would have wondered about that, and certainly they would have been nervous to go back into this tense situation where people just tried to throw rocks at Jesus and kill him with those rocks, right? And so you're going to see the response play out right away. Thomas, one of the disciples, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, go to Jerusalem and to Lazarus, that we may die with him, him being Jesus. They assume that if they go to this city, and they go into this tension, it's over for them, right? And they feared that. And there's kind of in a noble way, Thomas is like, all right, Jesus, if you want to go there, I'll go die with you, right? We're going to go to our death, and we're going to go right now, and we'll live it out. Now, on their way, they make their way into Bethany. Here's what we're told. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, now, this is an, a significant thing, and something we don't see right away is like readers in America in 2018, but the, the Jewish mind is they're reading what John wrote would hear four days, and that would matter to them. It'd be significant. Here's what they would hear, right? We, we hear four days, and it just seems like oh, a normal amount of time, random. For them, they would think and believe that when somebody died, their soul would leave their body, and then that soul would kind of hang out and hover in the same space as somebody who's passed for three days. On the fourth day, they believed that that soul would depart. 
right? They believed the soul would hang out in, in hopes that maybe this person would resuscitate and revive and they would maybe have find life again. On the fourth day, though, no hope. All hope is lost. Like someone has truly been lost in that situation. They are completely dead and without hope of ever coming back to us. Jesus waits until that full four days, and we're supposed to hear that as the reader to know, man, four days has passed, it's over. All hope is gone. No one can do anything about this situation. He is truly gone. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, right? Right down the street from this tense place. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. It's normal for lots of people to come into a kind of a funeral situation and comfort those who had lost a family member, someone close to them. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She sees Jesus and out comes this emotion out of her heart and mind. Lord, if you would have been here, Lazarus, the one you love, my brother, he'd still be alive right now. And you can imagine over those two days when Jesus delayed that Mary and Martha would have watched their brother who was probably in perfectly good health before this, go into sickness, they reach out to Jesus, and then they would have watched their brother diminish in health all the way to the point of death. Boy, if you've ever been a part of a situation where you lost someone and watched their health fade away, it is often, especially in a sudden situation like this, it is painful and ugly. And Mary and Martha, in their desperation as sisters, would have had kind of one eye on Lazarus and one eye on the road looking for Jesus. Jesus, where are you? Aren't you going to show up here? Did you not get the message? Jesus, show up, please. Right? And they would have watched their brother pass, and Jesus never comes. Now he's late, right? Now he shows up, and all of that emotion is going to come out in Martha. Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, Lazarus would be alive. But she's not without hope. She still continues to have some level of faith. She follows it up, and she says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Looks at her and says, your, your brother's going to live your brother's going to rise from the dead. Says it, says it to her plainly right there. Martha answered really the same way that we would probably answer today. She says, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In many ways, the, the people of this time believed a lot like a follower of Jesus would believe today. We believe that at the end of time, when God wraps things up here on earth, that those who have faith in God would, would be resurrected, right? We're going to come to life again. They would have had that same belief. So she looks at Jesus and says, yeah, Jesus, I know that at the end of time that Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. I know that. I believe that. That's true. Jesus is saying something different to her if she doesn't catch it. And he, he responds to her with a really powerful statement. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He would look at her and say, you need to understand, Martha, the resurrection, 
that power you're talking about that's going to raise us from the dead, I am that. I am the defeater of death. I'm going to destroy it. That's who I am. It's not just an event that I'm going to cause. It comes from me, and I am the life. I am the giver of eternal life, and, and I give it, and I sustain it, and actually we would see in Colossians that by his very thoughts, he keeps the universe together. I'm the resurrection and the life. He goes on and explains this to her. He says that the one who believes in me will live the one who believes in me will have spiritual life even though they die physically. The one who dies physically continues to live spiritually in the presence of God. We know that from Corinthians, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It says, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Whoever has spiritual life in me will never lose the spiritual life that they have. Martha, I'm sure cloudy through all of this, has just taken it all in, but she makes an unbelievable response. She kind of nails it in the way that she responds to Jesus' question that he asks her next. He looks at her and says this, do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe your friend Jesus is the, 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 the defeater of death, the resurrection, the life? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's coming in the world. She nails it, man. She gives the perfect right answer in this situation. She looks at him and says, I believe that you are all that you claim to be. We're gonna see how this affects her faith in a minute. Transitions to Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, full of emotion, and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing that Martha would say. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Jesus is moved by this situation. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord. They replied, Jesus wept. Jesus would become emotional, deep emotion would come from him in the situation. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. As this group of Jews kind of hovering around Mary and Martha, comforting her and helping them, they look at it and they said, oh, look, Jesus, he lost his friend. There's compassion for him. There's another group of Jews that would come to a different conclusion. They would, some of them would say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man kept this man from dying? Isn't that the guy that just healed the guy that was born blind, couldn't he, where was he? Why, why didn't he show up and heal Lazarus? Weren't they friends? And they're all grumbling and talking amongst themselves as Jesus is emotional and weeping and, and deeply troubled in spirit. See the rest of the story. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance, and you can imagine a hole built into this cave, a stone rolled across it. Jesus says, take away that stone, roll it back. He said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor and he has been there four days. Martha, who just claimed, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the son of God, you can do whatever you want. 
when push comes to shove and her faith is tested, she doesn't believe that her brother's going to rise from the dead. She doesn't believe yet that Jesus could resurrect him right there. She says, Jesus is going to smell if we pull the stone back, right? Watch what Jesus says. And Jesus said, Martha, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He looks at her and says, Martha, did you hear me? Do you know me? Do you see me? Can you see what I'm capable of? If you believe, you're going to see the glory of God in your life in a way that you can't even imagine. Here's something I want us to see about Martha and her response here. It's important. Here's what it is. Having the right answers and having faith are not the same thing. Having the right answers and having faith are not the same thing. Martha had all the right answers. She said the right thing. Jesus, you can do whatever you want. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Yes. Here's my statement of faith. I believe it. But when that, when that claim, when that answer was put to the test in a real-life situation, her faith didn't come up. It didn't show up. Boy, I don't know if I would have caught it either. But this is a big deal for us even today because it is so easy to have the right answer and have that not equate into faith. So easy today. Say, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Every time I fill out the census, you know, and I look at all the options, Christian every time. Are you, are you a follower of Jesus? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross? Believe it. Do you believe he rose from the dead? Yep. Confession. I confess with my mouth. But we got to see the, the rest of the verse that would show up when the scripture says, if, if you confess with your mouth, and there's also this other part, if you believe in your heart, you will be saved. My confession and my faith have to match for me to see the glory of God. Having the right answers and having faith, they're not the same thing. It's got to go a level deeper. And this is where Jesus is trying to drive his disciples and Mary and Martha, who, by, by the way, this point, they believe in him, but he's causing them to believe in him more, more fully, because everybody at this point has a limited view of Jesus. They can only see so much. There's no category for who he really is. Let's watch the rest of the story. So they took away the stone. They roll it back. Everyone's in anticipation. Like, what are we going to do now? It's a funeral situation. The stone is rolled away. They would have looked into the black cavernous cave and wondered, what is Jesus going to do with this? Are we going to be hit by the wave of a rotting body? Jesus looked up and he said, he prays, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. He stops and he prays after the stone is rolled away and says, Father, we're one. You, you know me and I know you, and we're always in conversation with one another. I'm praying this out loud right now for all these people watching, for my disciples and for Mary and for Martha and the Jews who have compassion and the Jews who are doubting me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. 
the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine this? Everyone is watching, staring into the, the black hole that the stone is just revealed and out walks Lazarus like a mummy. I mean, he's still covered in grave clothes. He can't even see. His face is covered by it. And everyone would have watched this happen and they would have thought, what is happening right now? The Jesus who did the miracles and the Jesus who said the things and the Jesus who fed the 5,000, this guy raised Lazarus from the dead. And now they saw him in a brand new way. They would believe now. They would see him for the glory of who he actually is. Unbelievable moment. I wish I could have been there. As they unwrapped Lazarus and he's like, hey, I'm back, right? It's been amazing. I think this is uh, an unbelievable and an amazing story. One of the parts that stuck in me the deepest this week wasn't even Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It was how Jesus responded to Mary weeping, the emotion that Jesus processed before doing this. I want to go back there for a minute. A couple verses before, this is the one we just looked at. Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was, catch this phrase, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This group of words right here, it's hard for us to grab hold of what all it means. In the original language, deeply moved in spirit and troubled means deeply agitated, angry, almost filled with a frustration or rage. It it literally means to snort with anger, like a horse in battle, right? Jesus is seeing this weeping crowd and Mary, who he loves, weeping, and his response is anger. What is that all about? What's happening in Jesus in this moment? And quickly after this, this this frustration and this anger is going to turn into weeping. Where he's overwhelmed by emotion and it's just coming out of him. What's that all about? Here's what I think is happening in Jesus during this moment. I think that at this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is exhausted by every interaction that he has with people. It's people putting him in a box. Right? The, the religious leaders of the day would have put him in the box and they would have said, Jesus, here's who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You're a blasphemer. You're a heretic. You're a rebel rouser. You need to be put to an end. Get, get in the box, Jesus. And now at the end of all of the miracles, he's done, done the feeding and he's done the healing, he's done the teaching and he's done it all in front of his disciples and now his disciples are gonna look at him and they still can't see him for who he actually is. They, they still don't see Jesus all the way. Here they would look at him and they would say, Jesus, you can't keep us safe. Sure, you can walk on water. Think about your Jesus. Imagine this. 
I just walked on water. I just stilled the storm. And, and disciples, you still don't believe I can protect your life? You're scared of a couple Jewish guys that can throw rocks at us? Really? You still don't see me? Mary and Martha, who, who would have heard of him healing people with a word. Jesus, you're, you're too far away to heal. You need to come to us at Bethany. Jesus would have said, didn't you hear about me healing that boy from a town away with the power of my words? Their view of Jesus is limited. They can't see the glory of who he is still. Certainly you can't give life to dead things. You can't raise Lazarus. You're powerless in this situation, Jesus. I think the weight of being the Messiah, of being Jesus, was unbelievable. Here, just imagine it for a minute. Just follow me. Imagine that every interaction that you have, you are constantly misunderstood. You're constantly underestimated, misrepresented. Who you are is not fully known or fully seen, and everyone's always missing it, even the people who love you most. Oh, you imagine how exhausting that would be. It'd be absolutely exhausting and lonely. And in this moment where he looks and he sees Mary and he sees these Jews weeping around him, I think, I think the emotion of, of, of sin causing the blindness of everybody had overwhelmed. He was so mad and frustrated with it that he wanted it to be put to an end, right? Because sin caused us not to see, so much so that God himself could show up in the room and we are so blinded we can't see it. It literally happened. It's the story we're reading. And I think he said, I, I hate Sin. I hate what it does, the blindness it causes, and I hate sin and the death and the, the grief that it causes that I see in my friends, and I want to end it. And I think it put a rage in him, caused him to want to go to the cross and end sin once and for all. Because everybody that he interacted with at this point had him in a box. We could not see his glory. Boy, we struggle to do it today. Right, because here's the thing. We, we want happiness in this life. But if we're honest, we would look and say, Jesus, I don't know. Can you give me real joy? I don't know if you can, Jesus. I'm not sure if, if the best parts of life actually come from you or not. I think I need to get that on my own. Jesus, here's who you are. You're a good luck charm to me. Right? Like if I carry my Bible around with me, I'm going to have a good day. You know, if I, if I wore a cross, Jesus, that, there's a, then I'm going to have a good week and maybe you're going to bless me. If I have some religious stuff around my life, man, good luck charm, Jesus. That, that's the level of interaction that I have with you. Jesus, you know who you are? Your spiritual self help to me. I want to improve my life and I want to get better in everything that I do. And, and Jesus, you give me a little extra energy to go the extra distance, a little more than I could do on my own to have my best life now. Jesus, I, I don't know, if, can I trust you to provide for me? 
I want to be secure. I want to be comfortable. I don't, I don't know if you can do that. And what happens is this, is I begin to limit Jesus in my mind. And what will happen when I do that, and I'm just as guilty as anybody, is my problems feel so big because my Jesus is so small. It's huge. Life is overwhelming because my God is not actually God. He's in the box still. Right? And we'll wrap him up and we'll keep him in here just like Mary and Martha had to do in the people of the day. Here's what I'd say. Right? We can't see Jesus for who he really is until the box that we've kept him in is destroyed. Some of you are like, you just stepped on Jesus. <laughs> He's not in there, okay? That's the point. Right? We got to destroy this. There is no box. There's no box. There's no box that can hold who Jesus actually is. There's no room. There's no church. There's no limit to who he is. He is God. And what he's always trying to do, the greatest good he's trying to drive into our hearts and minds is to destroy this, that we might see him in his glory. We might know him for who he actually is, that he is this. He's the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Who is Jesus? That's who he is. Is he just a prophet? No. Is he just a teacher? No. Is he just a good guy that makes our kids learn some good stuff so that they're moral people and we got to get our kids in church? No, he's God. And he's either got to be all God or we have to reject him. There's no in between. And he will go to unbelievable lengths to destroy our limited and closed and small view of him because it's what's best for us. He makes our answers match our faith. Jesus is ultimately trying to give us is this, life, eternal life. Here's what he says that it is. So this is eternal life that they know you, God, the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus is always trying to give us life, lead us to see him for who he actually is and to believe what he's actually said. Say, Ryan, what do we do with this? How do we walk away today? Here's, I think, the question we want to ask. A couple questions. One is, what would I write on my card? What's my belief, my limiting belief about Jesus today? Do I believe that he can't change the things in my life that have been the same for so long? Do I believe that he doesn't have the power to actually forgive my sins and take away my shame? to actually heal me from the inside out. What is it? What, what would I put on this card and, and put in the box and keep Jesus small? Would you recognize that and open yourself to that? Here's another thing I think we want to wrestle with as we wrap up our conversation. I think this box often looks like this. It's crushed and destroyed, often through pain often through struggle and through sometimes doubt. Certainly true for Mary and for Martha. I think it's true for us. 
that when the trials of life and the pain of life swirl, is it possible that Jesus is actually loving me and he's driving after my deepest good? That he knows the pain and he sees it, but he's trying to give me life at the deepest levels. So I want to have the band come out. I want us to wrestle with that. Listen to the words of this song and pray them as you think, as you process, as you think about what you put in that card, would you interact directly with Jesus today? He's the most interesting man in the world. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I'm, I'm blown away by the great lengths that you would go to to love me to bring the greatest good into my life that I, I could never see on my own and I would never, I would never pick it, Lord, even if I could see it because the path is too painful on the way there. But Lord, somehow you sustain us and you love us enough to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death so that we would fear no evil and that we would live life with you or would you help us to see the ways that we've, we've had a limited view of you and we haven't interacted with you as God, but, it, but God, it's something else. Help us to own that, to see the glory of who you are, the power of your name, and to worship you as the one true God, Jesus. Meet us here even now.